Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone, and we know that together we are healthier. Today on the show we'll be discussing the issues faced by caregivers of people with a mental illness and how to reduce carer burden, as well as the development of novel therapies with Professor Michael Burke. Michael is the Alfred Deakin Chair of Psychiatry at Deakin University in Barwon Health, where he heads the IMPACT Strategic Research Centre. He is also an Honorary Professorial Research Fellow in the Department of Psychiatry, the Flory Institute for Neuroscience and Mental Health, and the Origin Youth Health at the Melbourne University, as well as in the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at Monash University. Welcome to the show, Michael. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. Michael, can you tell us what led you to focusing on the role of the caregiver? It's become apparent that caregivers really play a very important role in the lives of people who struggle with mental health problems, whatever problems they're struggling with. We're all social animals. We all exist in a social environment. And we know that if a person has a supportive family network, they're much more likely to recover quickly and effectively if they do have mental health problems. Alternatively, People who are socially isolated and don't have effective support networks don't do as well. And people who have particularly toxic uh, social networks or home environments often also struggle with an additional burden. And so we've been interested in anything and everything that helps people get better. And we've, as a research unit, had a pretty agnostic view on whatever it is that helps people get better and, and whatever might be able to improve their outcomes, we're interested in. And uh, the role of caregivers has become an increasingly important area, but one that hasn't really been, uh, we believe, paid sufficient attention. So can you explain more about the issues faced by caregivers of people with a mental illness? Well, caregivers have a number of issues that they need to deal with. The first is the stresses of somebody that you care for now struggling and being unwell. Uh, and, you know, many people um, will experience a great deal of distress in witnessing somebody that they are, uh, love um, struggling with the pain of a mental illness. There are also effects on a family, for example, on the changes in roles within a family, that the role allocations and the responsibilities that occur in a family often change during the time that a person has a mental illness, and that can be stressful. Um, sometimes the symptoms of the illness themselves can cause difficulties. So depending on the difficulty that a person struggles with, whether it's a depression or an obsessive-compulsive problem or a substance abuse problem, the impact of the family can vary, but there's nevertheless a significant impact on the family itself. So there are many issues faced by caregivers. We also know that the act of caring for somebody, uh, for uh, somebody who... Um, has a mental health problem can itself be stressful for uh, their, their family and friends. So that's an additional issue that we need to bear in mind and work and uh, adopt strategies to manage. So what advice would you give to caregivers to effectively look after their loved ones as well as themselves? Well, the first is to understand that these are illnesses and that effective treatment is out there. So a very important part of caregiving is encouraging people to seek help for the difficulties that they have and to assist them 
in seeking help with the uh, difficulties that they have. It's also very important for people to understand the nature of the problem that the person's struggling with. And there are many resources which may assist people to understand the difficulties that people are struggling with. There are web-based resources. Uh, there are many self-help uh, uh, books and other resources that will help people understand the problems. And they can vary in the, the, the depth that's available. Some of, some of them can be quite um, uh, quick and easy, but there's some very in-depth resources out there that go into a lot of detail about how to deal with the individual challenges that people might be facing. So what are the important steps needed to reduce caregiver burden? Well, this is a very important issue that you raise, the whole issue of caregiver burden. Many people with, who love or care for people with mental health illnesses will find this process very stressful. Not only is it stressful to see somebody who has an illness suffer, but also there are many knock-on effects of the illness on roles and responsibilities, as well as the symptoms of the illness itself. So the first important thing to reduce burden is to recognize that there is help available and there are many different avenues to access help depending on the kind of problem that a person has. The second is that knowledge is empowering. So the more you understand about the illness itself, its early warning signs, pathways to treatment, uh, working out um, uh, what one needs to do in response to certain situations, um, as they arise, that, that is very helpful. And it's also very important to work out strategies to maintain your own health and well-being such that you are well enough to be an effective carer. Uh, you don't want a caregiver or a loved one or family member to be themselves so burdened with this that they are not able to effectively look after their own health or the health of uh, their f friends or family. You mentioned before that there are a lot of resources out there for friends and family members and carers. In your research, what is it that partners, family and friends of people with mental illness generally want to know? Okay, so we've done most of our research uh, initially in helping friends and families with people with bipolar disorder. And we went through quite a detailed process in trying to understand what these needs are. So we surveyed a very large number of uh, sufferers of people with mental illnesses, uh, expert um, caregivers, as well as uh, clinicians, to get a, a perspective on, on what the, uh, the, the, the problems are. And there are many, many different areas that they need to, uh, that they, they were wanting information on. So... Um, they, they often wanted information uh, on areas as varied as how to recognize the early warning signs of, uh, of somebody who's becoming unwell. They, need to, uh, they were interested in, uh, in understanding what role they should take, for example, if a, if a person is unable to fulfill their, their roles and responsibilities, uh, the balance between trying to support and help versus not wanting to take over and becoming too controlling, uh, working out uh, early warning, in working out early warning plans, working out strategies for dealing with um, uh, impending relapse or illness when it occurs. Um, so there, there's a lot of uh, um, needs around the area of communication. What do you say? Under which circumstances? How do you deal with um, 
the issues and problems that people will verbalize and how they should approach them. So there, there, there are many needs that were verbalized. What supports are you working on for caregivers? So we developed a web-based intervention for people with bipolar disorder called bipolarcaregivers.org. This is a freely accessible website um, which looks at many different areas. So it explains what the illness is, it, it, it gives information on the different phases of the illness, what treatments are available, uh, and it, it tries to answer many of the questions that um, consumers and caregivers raised as being relevant to their needs. So it's quite a detailed resource that goes into quite a lot of depth. We're now working to develop a very similar resource for people with depression called I Care for Depression. Uh, so this is not yet developed, but we're in pr uh, the development is in process. Again, we plan to go through a similar pr uh, type of method called the Delphi study, where we ask, we gain consensus from, again, the th same three key groups, um, people with, the, with depression, their, their family and friends, and uh, expert clinicians, to get the common ground, the areas where they all agree that these are the issues and these are the ways that we should be approaching them. Uh, so we're still working on this and we're trying to get resources to um, get this to a point that we can release it to the public. So um, bipolar caregivers, which is, um, bipolar disorder is a less common problem, affects about 1% of the population, and this website gets you know, over 20,000 hits a month. Whereas, uh, and we imagine that the, the depression, I care for depression, because depression is a much more common problem, probably five times as common, if not more, we would expect that the, the need out in the community should be uh, really substantial. Uh, there'd be very few people out there who either haven't had depression or wouldn't know somebody who has struggled with depression. And the problem is that none of these illnesses come with owner's manuals. So when you get struck with depression or anxiety or OCD or bipolar disorder, there's no user manual. And certainly there's no user manual for the family. Uh, and so that's really what we're trying to develop, is a simple uh, manual, simple to understand, but detailed enough manual that gives you all the detail that you need to answer the questions that you might have in order to help the people that somebody that you love who's struggling with these illnesses. Michael, can you tell us a little bit more about the development of novel therapies in mental health care? So our unit is very interested in the development of new therapies for mental health problems. And this is the area that we've really focused on for the last few decades. Uh, and we're, again, agnostic in terms of what might work. Uh, and uh, as we've been talking about, we've been developing web-based interventions, particularly focused on caregivers. Uh, we've um, also been very interested through our Food and Mood Center in developing nutritional-based uh, interventions. Um, so working on uh, nutritional strategies to, to aid people who have mental health problems. But most of our work has actually been in uh, on nutraceutical and pharmaceutical approaches. So we've worked taking um, widely available and safe agents uh, that often have been well proven in other disorders and adapted them to treat people with mental health problems. So as an example, there's an amino acid called N-acetylcysteine. So this is a normal constituent of food. 
Uh, it's found in green leafy vegetables, amongst other things. But in, uh, in purified form, it's a very potent antioxidant. It has anti-inflammatory properties uh, and has many other useful effects. And we've been able to show that this helps people with schizophrenia, uh, with depression in bipolar disorder, and it might actually help addictions. So we're currently doing two studies on NSL-cysteine, one for helping people to quit smoking, and another one, believe it or not, to help people quit ice. So we have some evidence that this might help with a range of addictive disorders, but the two studies we're involved in now is using NSL-cysteine to help smoking cessation and help people quit uh, ice use. Now this is really important because there are a few medications out there to help people quit smoking, like nicotine and things like that, but they're really imperfect. But there are no medications out there that help anybody quit ice. And it's a very, very difficult addiction to quit. Uh, and so anything that might help uh, a person to stay off ice, I think would be really useful. The other big thing we're doing in developing novel therapies is we are taking medications that are used for other illnesses, mainly cardiovascular illnesses, because we think many of those might actually be useful for people who have depression. So we're interested, for example, in the potential of medicines as diverse as aspirin, uh, which everyone has heard of as a painkiller, and anti-cholesterol medicines like called statins, as well as a class of blood pressure medicines um, called angiotensin blockers. And we think all of these might have antidepressant properties. And we're doing a number of big studies on aspirin as a potential antidepressant. Um, this is based on the idea that depression is an inflammatory disorder. There are high levels of inflammation in people who have depression. And if you can suppress dep uh, inflammation, we may be able to treat uh, depression. And certainly both aspirin and statins uh, uh, have anti-inflammatory properties. So we, those studies are currently underway and we're planning a lot more. So we're, we have a very busy uh, team working on a variety of novel therapies for people with uh, a diversity of psychiatric disorders. Can you tell us, is the stigma surrounding mental illness still a big barrier? It's still a barrier. It's not as much of a barrier as it used to be. Um, there's no question that Australia is probably further down the road of destigmatization than almost any other country. And this is largely credit to a number of very high profile leaders, people like Jeff Kennett from Beyond, who started Beyond Blue, and leaders in the psychiatric field like Pat McGorry, who have really pioneered public health awareness. So we're now in a position where the most high-profile, respected members of the community can out the fact that they have depression, and it's okay to do so. So you have Kerry, um, James Packer overting that he has depression, and you could never ha have imagined uh, his father, Kerry, ever admitting something like this were it to be true. So society really has changed. The stigma is reducing, but it's still an issue. Um, it's important to mention there's two kinds of stigma. Um, there's stigma that other people hold, but there's another type of stigma which is probably just as problematic and less spoken about, and that's self-stigma. This is when people who have problems stigmatize themselves or blame themselves or think less of themselves. And that's as much of a, as a problem uh, as 
stigma coming from the outside. And this also needs to be dealt with. I would make the point, though, and why, one of the reasons why we are so focused on treatment, if you look at, uh, at uh, leprosy as an example, the stigma of leprosy went away when we discovered antibiotics. So the knowledge that there are effective treatments out there and the availability of effective treatments, I believe, is one of the most effective destigmatization strategies. Michael, what are the benefits for all involved by better supporting caregivers? Well, there are many benefits from better supporting caregivers. Uh, the first one is their direct spillover effects onto their uh, loved ones who have mental health problems because there's pretty good evidence that good quality caregiving is associated with better outcomes in people who have mental health problems. So if the people who care for you are able to more effectively support you, guide you, and, and manage the illness with you when you, are, uh, when you are down, you're more likely to bounce back and recover and resume your old self and get back to life as, as usual. So there's a direct benefit to the people who have the problem, uh, but also there's a huge benefit to the caregivers themselves because their own quality of life will be enhanced by being able to nurture themselves, support themselves, while sim simultaneously being able to support uh, a loved friend or family member who has uh, a, a mental health problem. What is the Impact Strategic Research Centre and what work do you do there? So the Impact Strategic Research Centre, where I hail from, is a multidisciplinary research centre which is aiming to look at uh, understanding what are the causes of mental health problems such that we can develop better treatments for people with mental health problems. So I mentioned earlier some of the work that we're doing uh, in repurposing um, other medications, in, um, in trying to discover novel therapies for people with um, mental health problems. We do a lot of clinical trials. We also do a, a lot of what we call epidemiology studies. So these are studies of uh, people living in the community and this can often help us un un identify not only the risks that might lead to greater risk for depression, the environmental factors, but also sometimes it can help us discover treatments. So give an example of the former, um, through those kind of studies we were able to detect that uh, poor quality diet was a risk factor for depression, that smoking was a really potent risk factor for depression that physical inactivity is a risk factor of depression. And that kind of knowledge helps us counsel people and develop strategies to get people who have depression better diets, work with uh, smoking cessation programs, and to encourage people to engage in, in exercise. Are there any research trials currently being done that listeners could get involved with? Absolutely. So there are about four or five studies that we're currently doing at, at IMPACT. I mentioned two earlier, and that's the use of N-acetylcysteine to treat smoking cessation and to, uh, to help them quit ice use. So we're currently looking for participants who want to quit smoking or want to quit ice use. So those are two current studies that we're doing. We're also interested in a novel uh, um, South Asian tropical fruit called mangosteen, because we think that there are compounds in the rind of the mangosteen that might have beneficial properties for mental health. And we're currently doing stud two studies, one 
for schizophrenia and one for bipolar disorder. Uh, so if people have either schizophrenia and they're not as well as they'd like to be, uh, or they have bipolar disorder and, and if they are depressed and not as well as they'd like to be, uh, we would certainly welcome um, anybody to contact our unit. If you would like more information or would like to participate in one of the trials Professor Michael Burke mentioned in the podcast today, you can contact the Impact Strategic Research Centre via email at impactsrc at deakin.edu.au.